Welcome to the CultureWise Podcast, where God's good news meets the Latter-day Saints with wisdom and grace. Here we aim to discuss topics relating to how followers of Jesus can more effectively reach Latter-day Saints in their relational networks. For more information about this podcast, check out our pilot episode titled, What is this podcast about? My name is Daniel Shugart, and I am joined today by Ross Anderson and David Henderson. David moved out to South Jordan, Utah in 2020 uh, with his wife and two, or one kid at the time and another one been born since. Um, and he's been living and ministering in South Jordan in the Daybreak area since he moved out here. Now, David, how, how did you initially sense a call uh, to move out to Utah? Yeah, it's um, kind of an ironic story. I was working at a church in Colorado, and um, our missions team was planning a short-term mission trip to help one of our network churches here in Utah. Um, and the trip ended up falling through. We, we didn't make the trip, but through that planning process, through attending some of the planning meetings for the trip, um, the Lord just laid on my heart, and then I went home and told my wife, Victoria, and then eventually our lead pastor and went through the process of, hey, you're going to go and plant a church there. Um, and so, uh, as so often is the case with kind of big changes and things like that, my immediate response was absolutely not. That's not <laughs> Yeah. Um, but as the Lord usually does, he, he won that conversation or, uh, won that argument, I guess, and changed our hearts, both of ours. And, um, after about four months, you know, we really had had our calling confirmed in several different ways and, uh, began to prepare. And that preparation process was about two years in itself before mm-hmm. moving here. But we began to prepare for moving to Utah to start a new church. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I know you, you've you just recently began services with a new church, n- neighborhood church. Yes. Tell me a little bit about that process. How did, how did it come about? Yeah. So this was um, a sort of a, a calculated response to um, a lot, something that we were hearing from a lot of different people um, from kind of a variety of faith backgrounds. Um, when we moved here in September 2020, our timeline at the time was that we would have grand opening in uh, September 2022. And we had gotten the advice that if you want to make it long term in Utah, you need to go slow at the start. Hmm. We thought we knew what slow meant. And our definition of slow was too fast. (laughs) Um, And so now, you know, nearly two years in with what we had planned to be grand opening next month, um, this response that we have, um, that we've begun uh, is in response to to lots of people saying, oh, it's so interesting, so cool that you're starting a church, cool that you lead a Bible study, let me know when you have something on Sundays, Mm -hmm. or let me know when you have a, a building, and then we'll come check it out. And so... Uh, last week, uh, we have, we've had two so far, uh, we started doing church in the living room, which is just what it sounds like a very kind of informal laid back church service in our living room with a few worship songs, uh, a message from the Bible and, um, a little bit of reflection time, a, a focus really on community and connection. And so, uh, we, we've, uh, met 50% of that, right? So we have something on Sundays. Uh, mm-hmm. We have lots of friends and neighbors who, um, you know, are coming to check it out. 
and uh, we've had 15 per week, and and all but a couple of people live right within a few blocks of us, mm-hmm. uh, which has been really cool to see. Uh, we don't have a building yet, but um, you know that hasn't really been a hindrance in the last two weeks anyway. So mm-hmm. um, really, this was just like I said, our response to say, okay, if the people we want to share Jesus with are saying, oh, I'll come check it out when you have something on Sunday. How do we start something on Sundays as soon as possible? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And is it a part of your vision to grow and eventually have a building for the church? Yes. Yeah. So so we, you mentioned we're in a community called Daybreak, which is a big master plan community, I believe. Um, it's, uh, last time I checked, I believe this is still true, the second fastest growing master plan community in the country. Wow. So yeah. it's growing very, very quickly, just exploding. Um, and right now, Daybreak is broken up into about 13 villages. And there are plans to expand the community, probably to at least double that, to maybe 25, 26 villages. And so we're asking the question right now, what does it look like to start a new church in every village of Daybreak? Um, and it's sort of a hybrid model, I guess you could call it, where where we think about having a, a few kind of central hubs that will function sort of like your your traditional Sunday church uh, with a traditional Sunday experience, the larger group gathering, I guess you could call it. Um, and also say, uh, you know, in the, in the villages where we don't have the central hubs, can we start micro churches? Mm-hmm. Um, micro churches is not a concept that we made up. Um, but the terminology works for us, but it's, it's different. Only difference from a house church is that a house church implies a house and a micro church can meet anywhere at the gym, in a coffee shop, um, in someone's home, of course, is, is still an option, but really it could be anywhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How, d- how did you initially become aware of and, and really believe in some of these ideas about ministry and engaging neighborhoods? That's a great question. Um, really, it's it's been just through primarily my own faith journey um, and how the Lord has led me, you know, to Denver Seminary uh, for formal education, lots of different things and experiences for us. And the primary, you know, experience that has led us to this sort of hybrid model is our time. Uh, it was our time in Dallas, where before Salt Lake. Um, the community that we've built here, Dallas was the best community that we had ever had. Mm, yeah. Um, strong, strong community. We really had each other's backs. And it was, um, our, our community really was, through our church, what we called community groups or, you know, different churches call them different things, small groups, life church, uh, life group, all of those types of things. Um, ours was a community group, and that's really what it became. The pastor there, uh, Pastor John, would say, church happens on Tuesday nights, not Sunday morning. Mm-hmm. And to to experience what that meant and the intimate connection that you can have with 15 that you really can't have with 100 and the way you can bear one another's burdens with 15 um, not just, you know, kind of the physical burdens of uh, being without a job, those types of things, uh, but also the emotional burdens and the way you can connect with a smaller group of people uh, really has impacted our philosophy of ministry a lot. And then moving after that to um, kind of an isolated community in Colorado and asking that same question, how can we commu- uh, how can we create that community here um, in a place where where some people 
do move with the intention of getting away from people, of isolating. Mm -hmm. How do we say, you know, maybe there's a better way than that and we can, uh, we can live life together in community. Now, David, I'm interested in um, taking that concept um, and we could you spend a lot of time showing the backing that con that concept up biblically. Jesus talks a lot about neighbors, mm-hmm. right? And but I, I'm really interested in. I think our our listeners are interested in taking that concept that that God has birthed with you guys through your experiences um, and li- overlaying it over Utah culture. So how does how does these print underlying principles, which really are true anywhere, how do they connect with the particular cultural realities that you've discovered um, in Salt Lake County, Utah? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we we look at uh, Utah, and I don't I don't think we coined this. I think we stole it from somewhere. Um, but my wife Victoria and I call it the keep it together culture. Mm-hmm. The um, measure up to a certain standard um, matters less what's going on internally and behind closed doors, but on the outside, um, have it all together. And that's really important here. Yeah, and so, yeah. so we want to offer this community that says um, you don't have to measure up. Uh, there's a place for you here, no matter where you are, where you're at. You know, at Neighborhood Church, we just say that this is a community where you can belong no matter what you believe. Um, and we found that there are a lot of people who um, are looking for that place to open up uh, and looking for the place where the standard is much less important than the grace that we can offer each other. Um, Yeah, and that's just been uh, a really, really important thing. Um, We've heard many times before this um, statement about ministering among Latter-day Saint culture, um, especially I would say from friends who are out of state, who are not in Utah, and they'll say, oh, uh, you know, Latter-day Saints are really good at neighboring, you know, good luck kind of keeping up with them, um, huh. you know, good luck doing community better than they do. Yeah. And yeah. my response is just what a lie that is. Mm-hmm. Um, what a lie it is when, um, you know, yes, there, there's absolutely things that... Um, Latter-day Saints offer one another in terms of serving one another. Um, you know, if there's a physical need that comes up, um, you know, they're, they're, they're delivering meals, they're um, helping out with, with things like that, doing yard work for each other. And we, we look at that and we say two different things, uh, or two related things, I should say. And the first is, if we can match that, you know, it's not a competition, but we don't have to do better. Um, if we can just do something similar, mm-hmm. and they they'll say, "Oh, this is interesting to me. This intrigues me because you don't believe what I believe. Um, we're the ones who serve, and yet here you are serving me. Why is that? What's your motivation?" Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then we get to talk about Jesus. Yeah. And that's the second related thought: is that we offer a, an image of the true Jesus, uh, um, and and who did Jesus say our neighbors were? In Luke mm-hmm. 10, he said, everyone. It was the Samaritan mm-hmm. who was the hero mm-hmm. of the story, the hated figure. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we say, well, if everyone is our neighbor and, uh, and we want to love our neighbor as ourselves, how do we um, serve the physical needs and how do we create a space to see it's, it's okay to have questions. We want to help you explore faith. We want to help you search for the answers. 
uh, and you don't have to have it all together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, so in a sense, it depends on how you define what it means to be a great neighbor, right? So in a sense, you, you are out-neighboring the local culture in the sense that, not in the sense that, that you can necessarily do tasks for your neighbors better than the Mormons can, right. but in the sense that you're offering a neighborhood experience that creates a safe place where you're actually neighboring beyond the material, the physical and the superficial stuff, which is a a better kind of neighboring, right? So it's just neighboring that's defined more in terms of of the gospel rather than in terms of social categories. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, Another idea that's related to that that's been really impactful for us is theology of place. Uh, I think the the best way to uh, summarize, or maybe the most influential way that that's been summarized for for me, is Major Ian Thomas. You know, the um, English author and, and evangelist mm-hmm. and uh, biblical scholar, and he talks about the idea of sent, went, put. He says, "I was sent, so I went, and now I'm put." Um, <laughs> yeah, and yeah. so you know, where where is God sending you? Mm-hmm. And and if you're obedient and you go there. Now you're you're put. You're in the place where God has placed you in order for Him to. Uh, I think He has a purpose to use you there, but also He has a purpose for you there to in in order in order for you to grow for your right. own spiritual growth. Right. Yeah. yeah, I was talking about what God wants to do in you and through you, and yes. both of those both of those are wrapped up in this idea that you're talking about. Um, you know, sent, went, put. That's a great way to put it. Yeah. So. So let me let me ask you this, David. So, you know, you didn't grow up in Utah. You didn't, you know, you you were, you said you sent you said you were called. You had this kind of sense of calling for Utah before you'd ever been here. Yeah. But you put you spent a couple of years, you know, investing in preparing for that, and then you got out here and you've been here a couple of years. And um, tell tell us about the learning curve because i know that i know that many of our listeners are people who are considering utah or who are newer in mm-hmm. utah and so we really want to we really i'm really interested in in seeing how god has used different tools different means different voices um and and what some of the challenges have been and so that you know the more people who come out who are prepared or who are ready for it so i'm just curious about your learning curve and what was what was great, what was hard, um, you know, kind of how did that go? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. Um, so I was not born or raised in Utah. I'm a Philly kid, uh, East Coast. And, um, you know, I can look back through my throughout my life and see lots of places where God was preparing me. So this, for me, um, you know, hopefully, I guess my hope in sharing this is that maybe my story resonates with someone. Yeah. Um, because I grew up on the East Coast in a very traditional mainline Protestant denomination. Um, and so I look back now and I can recognize it wasn't necessarily the message that was taught or preached, but the message that I received was a workspace salvation. Mm. Um, and so from the get-go in my, you know, walk, probably not with the Lord at that point, but maybe walk toward the Lord. Um, there's some some pieces that I can relate to that we see a lot in Utah. Mm-hmm. Okay. And yeah. then having been sent to, uh, you know, uh, Chicago for my first job out of college and then living in Dallas and Colorado, 
this adaptability um, to culture and yeah. to learning. So I think I think that in itself prepared me to know I need to do some learning about this culture that I'm going to, seeing how different things are, um, and then just trying to devour as much reading material as I could um, to try to figure things out. And that's that's great. Um, there's some uh, really, really good insights you gain that way. But, um, you know, was it Mike Tyson who said every, every boxer has a plan until they get punched in the mouth? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you can create all yeah. the plans you want, but until right. you get here, uh-huh. it, it just does, it's not the same. Um, and then coming here was really interesting. And, and we um, struggled a bit to um, connect, not connect with people necessarily, but sort of connect with the culture when we got here, mm-hmm. because we came in with the, this idea of um, we're going to, and I think many people probably think they'll come to Utah and do this, or if they're still new, you know, have this idea of we're going to be doing a lot of um, kind of anti Mormon apologetics. Yeah. And when I say anti Mormon, I don't mean, you know, against Latter day Saints, I just mean, again, like debating the theology. Right, what they would consider uh, yeah. anti-Mormon in the sense of sure. uh, something that's more confrontational. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And, and more cognitively based. Yes, yeah. yes, I would definitely say very cognitively based. And what we found is it's much more relationally based because it's the, because Mormonism is much more cultural than doctrinal. Um, and so, yeah, I think just leaving ourselves you know, what we thought was two years lead time before grand opening, um, between getting here and and grand opening and now having the grace for ourselves to say, you know, maybe, um, maybe two years isn't enough time because it's not that we're not working now. It's not that we're not working hard or we're not, um, connecting with people. It's just that in order to, to build the deep roots, um, and really connect with people on a deep level and, um, share truth with truth with them. It, it takes a long time. Yeah, I've always felt like I've been in Utah almost forty years, and one observation that it doesn't take you long to figure out is that the timeline of spiritual decisions or conversions is relatively long, especially compared to other parts of the country where where maybe we were used to seeing people respond in a short timeline to to Jesus. Now God can do whatever He wants in somebody's life, but but generally speaking, in this culture, there, there's a lot of um, process a person has to go through to deconstruct this cultural understanding, worldview, experience to come to the place where you know the the gospel looks credible and it, it's even understood and it's not seen through their stereotypes and et cetera. So uh, you know, patience is and having the long view it seems really important to me. Yes, yeah, we we're not going to come in and just knock down the house. I, I heard I heard an analogy. Um, was this from your book, Ross? I'm not sure now. You can claim it if it is. I want you to claim <laughs> it. Um, it, it. And I know someone else was speaking to me about this. And so I'm, anyway, um, it's this idea of if we're debating doctrine, if you imagine a house, you know, in the framing stage, mm-hmm. um, and it's not... Um, it's not finished, but it's all framed out. If we're debating theology, we can go up and flick out studs all day, and they'll just get 
built back up. They'll just get replaced right. and it'll be supported. And if we talk about certain things, maybe we'll punch a hole in the floor, but they'll just take that piece of plywood out and replace it with a new one. But until we, we can get to the cracks in the foundation, mm-hmm. um, we're, we're not really getting where we need to get. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it is slow and it's a process. I'm not claiming that I have this all together or I'm great at it, but it's a process that requires a lot of faith. Yeah. To talk to someone and, and share the truth and know that I may never see the where this goes, but in 20 years, when they're considering leaving the LDS church, maybe they'll think about this conversation and think, right. oh, there's another place I can turn other than just leaving everything behind. Right, and maybe, they'll, maybe they will have a different kind of relationship with biblical Christianity at some level that will affect the kind of relationship their kids have yeah. with my kids, you know, and so so that the culture actually changes to become more embracing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that I wish I had put that analogy in my book. So <laughs> if I ever get a chance to do a, a revision, that'd be, that'd be a great one to put in. As long as that, you know, we understand that foundation is only partly the um, doctrinal foundation, right? But it's also the cultural foundation, and the, both those two things have to be addressed. Right? Yeah, we we see that in Daybreak. I, I think I've mentioned to this, this to you, uh, where we look at Daybreak, this master plan community, and it's planned to the plan, and it's beautiful. We love it. It's amazing, and it's weird, and it's tragic in some ways, um, hmm. because it's planned to a T. You know, no two homes on the same block can be painted the same color on the exterior. There's uh, white picket fences, you know, the, the worldwide symbol of everything's buttoned up. Yeah, And part of what drew us here was the Lord working in our hearts and saying, what happens when you go through the pristine lawns and the whitewashed picket fence and and get past the beautiful exterior and you walk in the home and you find yourself in the basement, there's a lot of cracks in the foundation. Mm -hmm. And and it's time to repair the cracks in the foundation, Um, not just try to work at that surface level. And when it takes such a long time, uh, one of the things that the Lord has really impressed on us is um, in John 1, 14, it says that Jesus is full of grace and truth. Mm-hmm. And um, when we're practicing that, trying to kind of bottle that up and, and model it to the people around us, what we find is so important here in the culture we live in is truth at the pace of grace, Mm -hmm. meaning that we can't rush the process of someone's conversion. It's not our process to rush anyway. Mm, Yeah, Um, It's not our process to bring about, but we we get to play a role in it. And it's truth at the pace of grace. It's not just, um, you know, cramming as many pieces of truth as you can into a single conversation. It's how is this person feeling? How am I caring for them as I share with them this truth that is potentially very counter to what they've grown up mm-hmm. hearing and believing? Yeah. yeah. Now, I love that phrase. I haven't, I've never heard it phrased quite that way before, but, uh, but I love the idea that we all, we've always talked about truth and grace you know, together, two sides of a coin, but to talk about the issue of pace really makes sense. It really makes sense because I'm sharing truth in the gospel that for an LDS person, really for everybody, it's going to, has the potential to unmake their life. Right. Because, you know, Jesus said, you're, 
and this isn't this is true for everybody, not just Latter Day Saints. That when you when you embrace Jesus, there, you, there's things you leave behind. It's inherent in the gospel. But in Latter Day Saint culture, for sure, part of what people leave behind is is their relationships. Many times, their certainty, their sense of self, their identity, their place in the universe. And so, you know what? If if I'm confronting people with this truth, this message that has the capacity to unmake their life, and of course we know that to, to remake their life in the image of Jesus, that's well worth it, but it may not feel worth it initially. I, I have to be pretty gentle. I've got that person's heart and soul you know, in my hands in a sense, ultimately in God's hands, but, but how I communicate that truth um, I realize that it's going to have huge implications, and and I'm and I'm asking them to count this big cost to take up the cross and so forth. So I, I really do want to be sensitive to to that that pace right. in which people can. I love that a friend of mine uh, has puts it like this: There's a we're asking people to cross over a bridge, and um, if, if the bridge. If we try to construct a bridge really quickly for them to cross over, a pretty good chance it's not going to hold the weight. Mm, right. So we take more time to construct a great bridge, and part of that is the is the human aspect of it, the the care, the concern, the culture, the uh, individual personality, and all the rest. We want to we want to create this bridge of the gospel in a way that it it bears the weight of the person crossing over it at this time in their life. Mm-hmm. Do you have a story, David, that, that might illustrate, illustrate well um, some of these principles that you've been putting out in your neighborhood, just being a good neighbor, uh, loving well and sharing the gospel, the truth at the pace of grace? Do you have a story that illustrates that? I could tell you several stories that are bad illustrations of it. <laughs> okay. The, the okay. opposite side <laughs> of it. Um, you know, I, I think one that comes to mind is uh, with our neighbor a couple of doors down, um, Hopefully this story won't get me in trouble with you, Ross. But um, uh, I, I know there are there are. I'll preface this by saying I know there are different takes on you know um, when we're ministering to Latter Day Saints. Do we do we drink alcohol? You know, is that something that could be a detriment to someone? Right, and, and it, that's a, it has to be considered. Absolutely right. has to be yeah. considered. And uh, we have a neighbor a couple of doors down who um, has grown up in Utah. And just for, for many different reasons, feels on the outs, looked mm-hmm. down on, judged. Um, and uh, we were getting together with some neighbors and decided, hey, let's, let's invite her too. And, you know, we said, hey, we're going to have uh, a fire pit. Uh, we'll have, you know, some drinks if you'd like to have something to drink. And she goes, wait, aren't you starting a church? I'm like, well, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is maybe not directly related to, but it's an LDS culture, an LDS environment. Right. Um, yeah. You know, we are starting a church, but, and you, you drink alcohol? Well, yeah. Well, I just assumed that you guys would all judge me because I'm a single mom and I have tattoos and I, you know, say cuss <laughs> uh-huh. words and yeah. this and that. And we're like, no, come on. Like, um, and so I, I think, you know, uh, not f- this woman is not from a Latter Day Saint background, but there are plenty who are who have very similar yeah. uh, stories and, and would have very similar reactions. I think in that mm-hmm. conversation, um, and just to to hear her say, you know, 
this is the first time that I, you know, and she moved into her home four years ago. We moved in two years after her. And as we built this connection, to hear her say, this is the first time that I've truly felt at home in my house. Hmm. Because I know that I have neighbors I can come to. I know that I have, you guys are the first ones who have gotten to know who haven't judged me and ask, where's your husband? Mm -hmm. Um, So to be able to just have that, the, that mindset of we can move slowly, we can get to know you, uh, we can um, do our best to make sure not, that nothing we say or do, now it, will we fall short sometimes, of course, sure. nothing we say or do will um, unnecessarily offend you and, and turn mm-hmm. you away from the Jesus that we want you to come to know. Yeah, that's a great, that's a great story. You know, just a footnote to that. So my, my approach, in 40 years in Utah, when we came to Utah, we, we made a decision, we're not going to drink alcohol. Sure. Now, I think that we have freedom in that area to drink alcohol within the boundary the Bible says don't be drunk. Right. Right. So within that, I think biblically I could make a case that I could drink alcohol. But we said, because we're trying to reach these people, we're not gonna, we don't want to create an unnecessary barrier, an unnecessary stumbling block to them. So I said, we're not going to drink alcohol. I'm not going to mow the lawn on Sunday. I'm not going to mow the lawn with my shirt off. Stuff like that, you know, <laughs> things that could be a, like feel like a stick in the eye right. of our Mormon neighbors. And what's interesting, David, is over the years, my as my relational sphere changed for a number of reasons, it, it came to the point where the majority of my more significant relationships, where I was, you know, representing Jesus in those relationships, were people where it would be an advantage to have a beer once in a while sure. or something like that, just because like, there are different cultural realities. So we said, okay, well, in this phase in our life then, um, we're not reaching those people anyway who would be offended if we had, right. you know, we're not going to run it up the flagpole or anything like that. But, but, but so, so our, our, our practical stance with respect to strategy has changed the underlying principle and never changed. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, I think it's definitely a question of context and even within, you know, Utah or anywhere, there are different kind of micro contexts. That's a great and, point. And, yeah. Know, who are the people that you're currently reaching? There are certainly contexts and places where we wouldn't even ask the question, you know, should, should we you right. know, bring a bottle of wine? Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. So yeah, it uh, absolutely agree mm-hmm. with you. Yeah. What are we, what other ways have you been engaging in your neighborhood and with neighbors? Yeah. Um, w- one of our favorite ways has been uh, we've thrown an annual block party. Okay. And uh, uh-huh. it's gone from. I mean, the first one we threw, um, probably two hundred and fifty people came. Wow. And the next one, I would say closer to three hundred. Wow. Um, and so we just get a few people who are willing to walk around with us and, um, you know, put little flyers in everyone's door. Our, our team of, uh, at the time, six people walked around and um, put f- 520 flyers in neighbors' doors. And it, it helps to be in a community that's big enough that we kind of have our own Facebook community page. Okay. Oh, sure. That helps yeah. too. But yeah, I mean, just big block parties of people. Now, the first one was really fun because it was like, Everyone came out of COVID hibernation. It was, mm. um, it was May. Let's see here. I think it was May. Actually, that one was June, twenty twenty one. So it was, you know, everybody was kind of just like on the tails of mm-hmm. COVID and just ready to come out. So we've done things like that. We have um, 
Daybreak's got, what's amazing is we don't have to like push to fight against anything. We just, um, we kind of just ride the wave that God's created and placed right in front of us. We live in a community that's master planned, has an HOA, they plan events, they have like an event board. And so when they uh, host the Soapbox Derby, we sponsor a car (laughs) and we get to put our name on the side. Mm -hmm. Um, The first time we did that, they made a huge deal. It was so funny. We were um, in a race against a, a bar, a local bar, and they just kept saying, now, once again, ladies and gentlemen, you want to pay attention to this race because it's a church against a bar. And it was just so fun. <laughs> yeah. And I'm there yeah. in my neighborhood church shirt, like, bar, we're, we're okay with bars. Like, but anyway, um, <laughs> it was just lots of fun. You know, we've done things like um, a brand new elementary school uh, opened last school year was their first year. So they opened just almost exactly a year ago. And uh, I got in touch with the principal and said, how many (laughs) teachers and staff do you have? And she said, 55. So we showed up with 65 gift bags for all the (laughs) teachers um, and said, you know, we had gift cards and supplies and things like that. So it's just kind of, when we think about loving our neighbor as ourself, maybe I'm just a selfish person, but I think about, I want someone to anticipate my needs. Uh-huh. I want someone to go out of their way mm-hmm. and do something I didn't ask for mm-hmm. to to be loved. And so we just kind of keep our ears perked up for those opportunities. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. T- tell me a little bit more about your church. What 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 are you really targeting or what are you going after with um, with the church? We say that our target is uh, the the people who are trying to measure up and finding that they can't. So it really goes back to that keep it together culture concept in Utah. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I love about it is, first of all, I think the Lord has wired us uniquely for it um, because my wife, Victoria, and I both have that as part of our stories. There's a standard I'm yeah. supposed to meet. Mm-hmm. I'm not meeting it. What's mm-hmm. wrong? Yeah. Um, and, you know, to the point where, you know, in my senior year of high school, I just, you know, I mentioned my sort of traditional Protestant upbringing, and I just was kind of ready to say, God, I'm kind of done because I'm not, I'm doing all this stuff and you're not rewarding me. Wow. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it was this realization of, you know, him, him saying to me, like, you, it's not yours to earn, but I'm giving it to you freely. And that was a life changing moment for me. So to be able to have that experience again, looking back and seeing, you know, how the Lord has prepared us for this. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so we say, you don't have to measure up. Um, the standard doesn't apply here. Does that mean that we don't want to follow Jesus um, and do the things that he says? No, we absolutely do want to do yeah, those yeah, yeah. things. But we understand um, something that that's sort of become, a, I don't know, a pet passion of mine is this idea of, um, as Christians, or really as, as someone who believes anything, whether you consider it a, re- consider it a religion or not, how do you how can you expect someone who doesn't view the world you do, the way that you do to act the same you do right, same exactly. way you do and yeah. ha- and and go through the process of moral reasoning the way that you do and so right. we see a lot of that in the culture at large mm-hmm. and so we say we're, we we want to be different we don't want people to feel like they have to see things the way we do to be part of our community mm-hmm. because if that's the case I think we're going to miss leading a lot of people to Jesus. Right, of course. We won't be able to cross the gap right. from our worldview to theirs or from our form of moral reasoning to theirs. Right. Right, yeah. It reminds me, like in 2 Corinthians 9, where Paul says, look, to those who don't have the law, I become as one who's not right. under the law, and yet I follow the law of Christ. So he says, I, I didn't lose my moral bearings in order to uh, adapt as much as I can to where people are at. So that he says, of course, right, 
um, so that I might save some. Right, right. Yeah, we look at um, parable of the Good Samaritan, and Jesus says, who is my neighbor? And, you know, the, the guy asking the question can't even, reading with a little imagination, can't even bring himself to say, oh, the Samaritan. He says, the one who yeah. showed mercy on him. Right, right. Um, and, and by that logic, even enemies are neighbors. Mm-hmm. Um, neighborhood, you know, we kind of mentioned the theology of place, but also um, the concept that we have categories that you know, we, have, we have motherhood, childhood, parenthood, fatherhood, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I, I'm a father. So fatherhood is something that I practice every day. I'm, I'm immersed in it. It's part of who I am. Well, so is neighborhood. Mm-hmm. We want to live out being good neighbors to the people around us who are looking for that safe place to explore faith and looking for the safe place to ask the questions and um, a safe place to not have it all together. And we say that's, that's our target. That's who mm-hmm. we're after. Yeah. Yeah. So what are some principles that um, churches today or just the everyday follower of Jesus can put into practice to begin uh, neighboring well and being a good neighbor towards the end of um, people saying yes to Jesus and seeing him? I think the first step is is recognizing and and remembering the price Jesus paid for each one of us. Hmm. Um we can only be generous uh, as far as we experience gratitude. Um, and so if, if we know that our debt has been repaid and forgiven, um, that's where we can recognize that a relationship with Jesus um, really calls for all that we are. Mm-hmm. And so it's one thing to begin to open your home and, and you know, invite neighbors for dinner and connect with them on a more intimate level. It's another thing to say, it's not just me opening my home, but it's me opening my heart. Mm. That's a great, uh, that's a great clarification. Yeah. Um, and once we get to that place where we can open our heart because of our gratitude, um, I think the, the best tip I can give to start is, you know, put your ear to the ground and look around for what are those needs? Hmm. Um, yeah. What, you know, who, who is the single mom two doors down in your neighborhood? Um, and how can you serve and include that person in, in what you're doing? Um, don't, don't fight the wave of what God is doing um, or feel like you need to add things into your schedule. We, we all say we're busy all the time, right? So what is it that you're doing or, or that this person's probably doing that you can come along each other in, come alongside each other in? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I, I look at that, I say, well, we all eat. Um, lots of people joke about how strict RHOA is with how your yard <laughs> looks and stuff. So yeah. we've all got to mow the lawn. Right. Um, you know, I... It's just... It, it's It can be really funny, kind of goofy things sometimes. Like... I had a subscription with a fertilizer company that, um, and I ended up canceling it and, and hiring a service to do it. And the service I canceled, they were still delivering bags of fertilizer every month during the summer. <laughs> and I'm like, well, I got these free bags of fertilizer. That's May funny. as well just spread them down the block. Yeah. Um, so just yeah. little things like that, looking for the needs, looking for the, um, I think if we start with the low hanging fruit, we just get, it's not that we advance to the, you know, more intermediate and then expert levels of neighboring. I think it's just that we learn how to find the low hanging fruit better. Right. And we keep doing that. Right. Mm. Yeah. And I think the low hanging fruit 
is a way in to, to experience. Because I think our culture, not just the Christian culture, but the American culture, has schooled us to isolate. Right. Right. I always say that, like, you know, a generation ago, they built a porch on the front of the house so they could say, talk to their neighbors. As now everybody builds a, por- a deck on the back of the house so I don't have to talk to my neighbors. You right. know, hit the garage door opener, I, I go into my pod and I shut it behind me. I never interact with the world around. So I think Americans and American Christians are, get caught up in this. We, we've been schooled by our culture to isolate. And I think, right. fr- frankly, a lot, of, um, a lot of Christians don't know how to make a friend, don't know how to connect with a neighbor. And, and so I think there's some, even some very basic, simple skills about conversation and, yeah. and friendship that, that without even talking about how to share the gospel, but even just how to, how to connect with another human being. Yeah, I think there's significance in when we, when we talk about truth at the pace of grace, the pace of grace for yourself, too. That's a great point. Recognizing yeah. mm-hmm. that I don't have to go meet my neighbor and convert him within a week. <laughs> and that's probably not a good strategy if that's what you're trying. Yeah. If that's what you... It might happen, great. But it's probably not a good strategy if you go in thinking that. But how do I just open the door? And now this is my shameless plug as a church planter. Daybreak, Ross, that idea you mentioned with the front porch and now it moved to the back deck. Mm-hmm. Almost every home in Daybreak has a big front porch that you can sit on. And it was exactly for that reason. Mm -hmm. And so we look at this place and we're like, this is church planter paradise. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, People want to be on their front porch and get to know each other. And we just, we just try our best not to force it. And sometimes, Mm -hmm. um, you know, we'll, we'll be sitting on our front porch and a neighbor will come over or we'll go to their front porch. Um, and I use that literally and figuratively, um, and we, we get to talking, and five minutes in, it's, a, it's become a deep spiritual conversation. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that doesn't happen, and that's okay, right. because we, we're building a relationship, and we're uh-huh. not forcing anything to happen. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, I think we get this um, concept of success. What does success look like? And, you know, we, on the kind of, I guess we're, many churches are sort of in this post-church growth movement phase now, and kind of what one of the things the church growth movement taught us is, you know, how many conversions are you making? How many of this, how many of that? Can we just, instead of looking at success, can we just be faithful to what's right in front of us? Yeah. 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 If we're faithful, God, God is the one that provides the fruit. If we abide in Jesus, we right. will be fruitful. If we chase after the fruit, we may not be faithful. Right. I, I don't true. know. We That's might be, yeah. we That's might not true. be. Yeah. <laughs> That's a great illustration. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, David. This has been really incredible to hear how you've been engaging your neighborhood and um, how your church has been coming alongside that and pursuing the gospel moving throughout your area, your neighborhood and daybreak. So thanks so much for joining. Yeah, thank you guys for having me. It's been uh, my pleasure to be here. Absolutely. Well, again, this is the Culture Wise podcast where God's good news meets the Latter-day Saints with wisdom and grace.